Good morning. Before I get into our text this morning, just um, rather than being patient waiting for praise time, I just want to thank the Lord for our work day yesterday. I was excited about all the work, people crawling all over the property, like north, south, east, and west, in the building, out of the building, under the building, over the building, on roofs, everywhere, in the grass, in the woods. We thank you for all the work that you did. And uh, grateful for Hunter and for Mark Tracy for spearheading the workday this year. Did a great job um, trying to get a five-year contract signed before the end of the day here. Uh, we'll see about that. But it just was spectacular. And I, I know that it, um, it, it brings excitement to my heart, even just to drive up here and you can just see the difference. But I know it, it pleases the Lord to see his people make these um, sacrifices and, and work for his honor and for his glory. So we are in our communion Sundays, it's once a month. We are embarking upon a covenant class series. And this morning will be sermon four in this series. And it's basically taking the material that is in our membership class and expounding on it. I'm not sticking really close. You probably noticed I'm not sticking really close to the the material so it doesn't become too teachy. I'm kind of expanding it and having a little bit of fun with it, try to nail some things. Um, but you can see the covenant class material if you don't have a booklet. It's been made available online, I think through the uh, website um, and maybe the Facebook or just the website. Okay, so there's a link on Facebook. So if you're curious what it says, if you don't have a copy yet, then you, you have access to this. And I would, I would encourage you to take a look at our covenant class material. So where have we been so far? I started with our roots. That's not really in there. Um, it's just a, a little brief history is in the covenant class. But I started with our roots in sermon number one. And we found our roots um, before trying to figure out, well, how did new covenant fellowship come into existence? It took us all the way back to Genesis, really. Because what we are first is the people of God. No matter what church you go to, if you are a true believer, your, your identity is wrapped. Your roots go all the way back to the people of God and the promises of God as given in Genesis 3 and then given to Abraham uh, later on where God will bring salvation to the world to Jew and Gentile. And that's why we're here, because God has fulfilled his promise. Then we look more specifically at our particular roots through the providence of God, who moved on the spirits of people who were gathering. And on January 29th, 1984, gathered and prayed and decided that uh, they were become this group of people that were meeting in homes would become a church. And they, they identified Pastor Kirk as their pastor. And he served New Covenant Fellowship for 20 years. So by the, the providence of God... The Spirit of God moving in people, we can trace our roots back into Genesis and then follow all the way up to where we are today. God has been so good to us and generous to us to provide us places to worship. Um, this group of believers has worshipped in a lot of different places. We've rented churches, worshipped at a coffee house at, at New Covenant, I mean at, um, in Crew, worshipped in homes, but have always been a people who just want to love God and serve God and exalt the name of Christ. And that's who we are today. So I am grateful for those roots. In our second uh, sermon, we looked at what it means to be in covenant. 
you know, church membership and the idea of covenant classes, it's, it's basically the same thing. It's not as popular as it used to be. It used to be like you had to be a member of a church and you needed to have your name on the membership roll. And then it got to where you'd have churches with a thousand names on the membership roll. And then on a Sunday service, there'd be about 100 or 200 people there. So where's the importance? Where's the dedication? What's the purpose of it? Do we even need it? But we learn that when you look in Scripture that to be a Christian, individual Christian, means that you're part of something bigger than yourself. You're part of the body of Christ. We're not alone. And come to find out when you study Scripture, you will see how important it is to form a biblical community where we are hold each other accountable, where we encourage each other, where we apply Scripture with one another. And by virtue of the fact that we are in a covenant relationship with God, we are in a covenant relationship with each other. What is heaven? Heaven will be all the saints from all time, all places throughout the world praising God. And that takes place. The communion, the, the, the teaching or the doctrine of the communion of saints says that all the saints in all the places are praising God. So even as we worship here, not only are there other churches worshiping at the same time and exalting Christ, but the saints that have gone before us are exalting Christ in the heavens. So God is getting glory from every angle in, in every realm. By being a member of the body of Christ, it, it's the only way really we can obey God's commandments. All of the one another's. We can't obey the one another's. And the many ways, um, commandments and the exhortations to grow and to become more like God, we need one another. It's just a matter of obedience. And so we looked at the importance of being in covenant with each other. And then about a month ago, in other, our previous communion Sunday, I started to talk about doctrine. And just kind of gave a big picture of what is doctrine. Why, why is it in the book, our booklet? And why is it so important? And that's another thing that within Christendom, you know, we Christians, we do a great job at messing God's gifts up. We mess up membership. We mess up covenant. We mess up the importance of doctrine, and sometimes we make it too important. Sometimes it's not important enough. People get a bad taste in their mouth and wind up concluding doctrine is divisive. Why does it really matter what we believe? All I see is Christian fighting. And even though that we're, we're still in progress and we do mess things up, doctrine is it's in God's word. And so we, it's important. We want to try to get the right understanding of it. There are doctrines mentioned in our covenant class material. And not every doctrine in the Bible. There are what we would call orthodox doctrines. And those are the, the just limited number of very, very important foundational truths that have been revealed to us by God. And they could be described as goalposts of Christianity. It's what makes Christianity what it is and what it's not. And you have these goalposts, and they're wide. And there's lots of room for understanding and growth, wiggle room. We don't have to agree on absolutely everything. But we do have to agree on what is plainly stated and explicit in Scripture, or we're not considered a bona fide Christian. 
So orthodoxy or doctrine is a set of beliefs that groups adhere to. Church doctrine means that there are the group, the church, believers read scripture and we adhere to these explicit truths. And they fall within the goalposts of Christianity. Though it might be right down the center, it might be all the way over here, over here, but it has to fall within these goalposts of orthodoxy. That's what defines us there. It's explicit. And then we closed talking about truth. We live in a culture, it just boggles my mind to see the, the different directions we've taken as a culture. It's so different than the way I was raised. But we live in a culture now that really even questions if truth exists. Um, as if we have an option and questions if there's, when it gets down to the bottom of it, is there really such a thing as right or wrong or is it a social construct or is it something that we can just decide in our own minds and you can decide it for yourself and you can decide it for yourself. And these are some of the dangerous, these are dangerous, dangerous thoughts and philosophies. We're giving ourselves freedoms that are not in the design of reality. And it, it just is, um, it's crazy, but we're going to talk about church truths, Bible truths. And we just need to know that as we huddle around these and encourage one another in these and worship God the right way, the right God in the right way, just need to be aware that there are people in the world that don't even know if there's such a thing as truth. We want to be sensitive to that. Today, we're going to venture into defining some of these doctrines that are in our covenant class material. Again, I'm not going to cover them all. I'm going to just kind of highlight a few. But this morning, we want to look at one of the most important. They're all important. But the doctrine of Holy Scripture, the doctrine of, doctrine of what we have. And I want to look at, well, what is it? What does it say? And then what does it mean that this is true, that there is such a thing as Natural revelation and special revelation. So that's where we're headed this morning. Let me begin by reading a text to kind of um, give us a foundation in God's word, just to hear God speak. And there'll be I'll read a lot of scripture this morning because we want to it's on what's on the doctrine of scripture. I want to hear God speak. So we will look at that. But second Samuel 23 verses two through three. It says, the spirit of the Lord speaks by me. His word is on my tongue. The God of Israel has spoken. The rock of Israel has said to me. So not only is there a God, but God has spoken. In our covenant class material, you'll see that I've broken this doctrine down into four basic parts. First... God's revelation. When you talk about God's revelation, what we're, what we're saying is that God has made himself known. He has revealed himself to us, to his creatures, to people. And he does that in two different ways. He does that through natural revelation, which is creation. And then he does it through the actual spoken word or special revelation or specific revelation. What is natural revelation? How does God reveal himself to us? 
um, without actually speaking. What can we learn or what can we know about him? Psalm 19, the first two verses says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims. So these are proclamations, declarations. It proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. So there is something to be known about God by just observing the world that we live in. It's, it's natural. So the design, uh, the, the breathtaking beauty of what we behold, the terror that is found in this world is, is a revelation or in some way describes the creator who made it. There are rules. There are regulations that this world abides by. And because they can be known, we can rely on these laws and regulations of nature and creation and make headway. Uh, They're reliable. We can progress. We can make our lives better. We can understand this world that we live in because it's knowable, because the God that created it is knowable. Uh, we have competing views about this. We also, there are, there's the belief that everything that we see, yes, it's real, but it wasn't created or designed. It just popped into existence through chance. And we have the whole teaching of evolution. And the idea is that it just by chance started with a little spark of life and grew into behold what you see today. And there are people that have studied and researched and used their mind and their intelligence, and that's where they draw the line regarding origins. Uh, more recently, there there are scientists that have not made the connection that, okay, so actually I'm, I admit that I see intelligence in design now. There are more scientists saying that. They're not, they're not saying, that. therefore, I believe in God. Some are. But most science today, and it may take a while for it to show up in the textbooks because the textbooks are usually about 20 or so years behind the the current science of things. Um, There is an intelligent design. And there are books out there that are convincing people. So, for instance, just briefly, uh, one of the reasons that we see intelligent design is is because of the truth of irreducible complexity. In other words, evolution says you start with one simple organism and then this was added and this involved and this was added and then you see what we are today. But as they look at the organisms, what they're finding is actually you cannot reduce them like that. You can't take one layer off and then another and get down to the simple organism. It's not that simple. As a matter of fact, there are other organisms that have to exist at the same time in order for that organism to even have life. It's kind of like a mousetrap. If you take a spring out, if, if, you, if, if a mousetrap evolved, there are certain things about that mousetrap. You have to have all at one time or it's not going to work. And there are things about organisms and cells, if you break them down, where you had to have all these things at one time or it's not compatible with life and it can't evolve. So in other words, evolve. So in other words, there is intelligent design. It's almost as if they had to all be pop into existence at one time. Well, we would call that creation. We would call that the word of God in fiat. Creation by fiat. So there are these ideas are being challenged. And what does scripture say about 
nature. Well, we read the verse in Psalms. But there's this profound scripture in Romans, the first chapter, that every time I read it, I just like it expands my mind. And it says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. That passage describes what's happening in our world today. This is the biblical perspective of making sense of how can people have so many different views? How can you see the same thing and have so many different interpretations? The reality of the situation, says God, is that truth is clear enough for everyone to understand it. They can look at creation. They can look, say, the Grand Canyon or look at the beauty of just a flower, a simple flower, and draw it back to that. There's got to be something behind this. And draw it back to the idea that there is a creator, powerful, glorious, It's evident. So how can there even be atheists in the world if it's so clear as Scripture says? Because Scripture also says our minds are twisted. We are rebellious by nature. And even though we can see the invisible God, the parts that are evident, we don't want to be accountable to him. We don't want, part of us doesn't want there to be a God. Or we want to make him into our own image or fashion so that he's a God that serves us instead of we serving him. We suppress the truth. That's the reality of what we see in the papers today. It's our world. Read it. It There are people who are acknowledging the existence of God as the one and only true God. And there are others who make every excuse in the book, twist it and and pervert it in any way they can be. By nature, they want to push it down. They don't want it to be evident. So that's natural revelation. It's clear, but doesn't tell us the whole story. Like it just says, wow, there's got to be something out there. This is incredible. But it doesn't tell us the whole story. So what tells us the whole story? Special revelation. That's where God actually speaks and and defines who he is. He defines his character. He tells us specifically what we need to know about ourselves, our lives, our purpose. Things that natural revelation does not tell us. 
He has gifted us with his precious word. Special revelation. The very word of God that communicates these attributes of God. This morning we talked a little bit in in Galatians. I know I always bring up Galatians in the sermon. But I sit under the teaching and, and it transforms my mind. So we talked about the teaching of how we... Uh, or how God describes himself or reveals himself as Abba Father. So you wouldn't know that by looking at creation. I mean, creation's beautiful and, and it's kind in some sense, but it's, it's vengeful and, and ferocious and deadly in another sense. We would not draw that conclusion on our own that God actually wants to relate with us as a father and we're his children. That's special revelation. It, it defines the dynamic. He, he reveals himself as many things. He has many attributes. But just drive that one home and think of the God of the universe, powerful and all wise, and yet, Abba Father, he's my dad. And he wants to be known and related to as your dad, your father. Incredible things. And we would not deduce that. We would not know that, at, that at, had God not shared that with us. He doesn't share everything. He doesn't share every truth. There are things that will remain a mystery. But he shares what we need to know. It's special. We'd never figure it out on our own. Secondly, it's Holy Scripture. It's inspired by God. It comes from God. It's not just our own discoveries. It literally is what... Um, scripture says is inspired. Second Timothy three sixteen. All Scripture is breathed out by God, and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. And you think about the Samuel passage that we read: the Spirit of God, the Spirit of the Lord speaks by me. It's His word on my tongue. So how did we get the special revelation? God speaks, and he speaks to man, and man records it. I could speak to man through a dream. No, he spoke to man one time through a donkey, a speaking donkey. God makes himself known. He puts thoughts in people's minds and hearts. And when he inspires this word, it translates into Holy Scripture. Not everything or every thought that man ever had about God made it into this book. There are tests it has to pass. They call it the canon. It's a read. It's a measurement. And it has to pass certain uh, scrutiny in order for it to be considered, no, that was the Word of God and should be revered as the Word of God. Special revelation. So he uses a man. He speaks through man. We see this, the Apostle Paul, all the time as he he is sharing Uh, With the churches, he's directing, and this is authoritative teaching and doctrine because it came from the the God who has all authority. And the way that God inspires man is through his natural abilities that he blessed him with. So you have different languages in Scripture. You have different personalities that come out in different books, different styles because he uses man To write it, but it's God's word. It's not by dictation. We might imagine that, well, in order for it to be purely from God, it's just 
Man goes into a trance. His hand just starts moving and he wakes up and behold, the book of Galatians. It's not like that. He uses man, alert, awake. He, he makes it known to him. He inspires him in that way. He guides their every thought, their every word, every letter, every nuance in that way. So what you have is the word of God given through or recorded and preserved through man. And third, it's complete. When we say the Bible is complete, what do we mean by that? Well, first, it's, it's complete in, in the sense that we have completely, um, we have here God's mind, God's thoughts. He uses man, but it's 100% God, inspired by God. But it's also complete in that what we have, according to God, in his holy word, is everything we need right now to serve his purpose. It's complete in that way. You, you can't expect, don't leave extra space in your notebook for more books to come from God. It's open and it's closed until the Lord returns. And he tells us that in this book. He tells us where we came from. He tells us where we're going and what to expect. So it's complete in that this is what we have to work with in this season of life. Second Peter 1, 3 through 4 his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises. That's God's word. So that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. The apostle Paul said in Acts 20, I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. It's all right there. John 15, 15, no longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from the Father, I have made known to you. Everything that God wants us to know is right here. Everything we need to know to serve God and honor God and glorify God in the way that he desires is right here. We might have to work hard. You don't automatically know it. You can't, um, you can't put this under your pillow at night. And wake up knowing what the Bible says. But everything that we need to know is there. There's, there's nothing that we should remove. Nor is there anything that should be added to it. Revelation 22, 18 and 19. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life in the holy city, which are described in this book. So we can be reassured we don't have all the answers, but we have everything we need to know. Paul Tripp explains it like this. I really like this description. He says, your Bible isn't exhaustive in that it speaks about everything and Gives you sheet music for every action, reaction, and response. But the biblical narrative, with its law and gospel, gives you a key and a rhythmic structure for your heart and life. And as long as you stay inside God's wise, lovingly revealed structure, when you improvise, and you will need to, you will do so in a beautiful way. Harmony with him. He hasn't given you sheet music for every situation, but he's given you his law, his wisdom, his revelation of himself, his plan for the world and his gospel to shape how you should think 
and what you should desire in the situations and relationships of your daily life. I like that because even up here on the worship team, if if you play in the same key, you can add a different instrument. They can even break out in a solo and it sounds good. It all fits. But just one instrument plays in the wrong key and everybody's going to be, oh, no, that doesn't fit at all. So there's this key of life, a, a, a specific design, a right way, a good way. And there's lots of improvision that can take place. We don't have it all, but we can learn it and stay within the goalposts, if you will, or stay in key as we go and as we keep in step with the spirit. And then lastly, in this first section of what is it? Well, it's inerrant. It's a fancy word for saying uh, it's infallible. There's not error in it. It comes from God. God's wise. He knows what he's talking about. He's never wrong. And so when you read what God says, we may not completely understand it comprehensively, but it's right and it shall come to pass as God intends it to come to pass. It's inerrant in its original manuscripts. In other words, as the original manuscripts or documents that God gave to man or inspired man to write. John 10.35, Scripture cannot be broken. Psalm 119.89, Forever, O Lord, your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. So the Bible is God's revelation. The Bible is inspired by God. The Bible is complete and the Bible is inerrant. To have this book is to be able to hear from God. To be able to understand God's heart. To understand God's mind. For himself and for us. Paul Tripp goes on to say, When you get the word of God, you also get the God of the word. And that's a beautiful thing. So that's what it is. What does this mean? That God has spoken. He's spoken accurately, clearly, and through man, and to man. Well, it means that this is our final authority for all things, for all practices, for all thought. This is what we turn to when we need wisdom. It's, it's, it's our boundary. It's the path that God has set. It's what he lights up for us. It's, it's everything that we need to have any kind of instruction, direction in life. It's, and it's our rule by which we are to live by because God has revealed it to us. It speaks to every man who has ever existed. It, we would be lost Without it, we'd be left on our own. We'd still be suppressing the truth. Without it, we wouldn't understand our nature, our sin, our desires, our longings, our inclinations. This speaks to all of these issues that are so important to us, things that we face every day of our lives. When we sit and read God's word, we're growing in knowledge in the areas that would otherwise remain a mystery to us. Philippians 1.9, the Apostle Paul prays that their love would abound more and more in truth and in all discernment. And it's God's truths that give us and grow our discernment so that we know how to field all of the things that come our way. 
And they're coming at warp speed at us today. All the different ideas and philosophies. We, when we open God's word, we come into the presence of the ultimate teacher, the one, the all-wise one, the all-knowing one, the omniscient one. And it opens the eyes of our heart to be able to see each other, to be able to see our own, our own nature, our own person. When we look in the mirror, by knowing God through his word, we can understand who we are better. And I would venture to say without the knowledge of God, we don't know who we are. We can't discover that on our own. And you can see pockets of society that bear that truth. Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. Psalm 25. So I would venture to say if this is true, then this is where we should spend most of our time. I mean, there's a lot of intriguing, enticing things out on the Internet and in books and so forth. We have access to many, many things today. But if what God says about himself and his word, I would venture to say that we need to be spending a lot of time in this book. There's nothing more accurate. There's nothing more important. There's nothing more pertinent or practical to our lives. Whatever you are dealing with in your life right now, in some way within that key, God can speak to it in such a way that it will bring relief and in such a way it will bring freedom and cause us to well up with a desire to worship him and to know him. That's the power of the word of God. Our culture hisses at the idea of accountability, authority. Boy, we hate it. It's like we're... we're there's a part of our culture, it's kind of like we're stuck in teenagerhood where you just don't like authority because you, you, you start growing into your own uh, person. You start discovering things on your own and you start questioning the things that the authorities have passed down to you. Well, we don't like the idea of authority. It strikes us often in a wrong way. And we're in an age where... The most important thing. How did this stuff happen? You never know. I mean, it's, it's, the, it's the ideas, it's the philosophies that rain down on us century after century. And it seeps into the soil and it gets into our hearts and our minds. We're in an age where, like, the most important thing is your choice and your opinion. It matters. You see this in the media. It matters more than right and wrong. Your choice, your opinion, what you have to say. And that's because of the philosophy, philosophy behind it, what we're, we're being fed, is that that's the ultimate freedom for mankind. That's what makes us the best form of ourselves. And if anybody gets to tell us anything or if we're accountable to anything in a way that we don't want to be, that's bondage. And so what's most important is that I get the choice to do what I want to do without hindrance. Now, it sounds so lofty and people fall for it, but it's not real life. And you immediately see that with that philosophy, there's going to be clashes. There's going to be chaos. There's going to be more and more actual violence and disagreement. What do we see in our society? Clash after clash, division after division, because people want their choice as preeminent and to ignore rules, boundaries, paths, and guidelines and 
you cannot have a self-existent society with that philosophy. And it, can, it doesn't work in a church. So if we start adopting the idea in this church or any church that my preference is what's most important, then you can count on f- factions and divisiveness. Because we are all accountable to what God says. He speaks authoritatively. The doctrines and the practices that we have at New Covenant Fellowship didn't come from Sam and Dwight and Corky and Paul or Pastor Kirk or any, any leader that has served us, the deacons. It comes from God's word. We're, we're just all humble recipients of it. This is what God says. This is what we're accountable to do. And we just want to present it to you. And you all have it in your, in your Bibles. We just want to, to strive to honor God and, and to understand properly what he has said for us. We just don't want to fall for this idea that just because so many people think a certain way that that must be true or right. It's not. And a lot of times as you see Christians kind of fall off and do their own thing and get get a gathering or a whole movement in that area, we, we tend to think that that must be a viable option. Think about, look at all the single Christians today that live together that aren't married and you see so many Christians doing it and you grow up as a young person think well that's a viable option for me it must be okay we always have to draw things back down to God's word and you see today that a lot of um, Christians are are adopting different positions on say homosexuality And when you have, it becomes prominent, and then all of a sudden say you have friends, dear friends, dear loved ones, family members that are struggling with this, people that you love, all of a sudden it starts to change your mind about it. It can't be that wrong, is it? But what we have to kind of wake up or or splash cold water in our face with God's word and say, wait a minute, what? What changed here? Has God changed his mind about these things? Or has my heart, have my emotions changed? We always have to draw things back to God's word. We're not a special interest group. We're the church of the living God. Christians believe that God exists. That God's spoken. That God is transcendent. He's above and beyond our senses, our feelings, our reasons, our decisions. But he works in them. And therefore, he is knowable. We believe that God has revealed himself to all mankind. And he's shared with us. He's he's revealed why we're here. What we're supposed to do while we're here. How to think. How to act. How to live freely. And we believe that we are accountable to this God. G.K. Chesterton once said, if truth is a good thing, I'll paraphrase, if truth is a good thing, I suppose error is a bad thing. And if nice people are being held captive by error, I suppose it would be a good thing to use truth to pull down that air and set those captives free. That's a beautiful quote because it describes, I believe, the capability and the power of God's word 
to set people that are in bondage to error and enslaved to lusts with the truth. You're the people of God, and as a church, we're the people of God together. We are in covenant with God, and we stand and live and have our being in the truth of God. So let us worship this God and commune with this God this morning. May God bless the preaching of His Word.